It's a good time to pray for wisdom, isn't it? Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, uh, give us a hearing heart as you gave Solomon, a heart to hear your word, to be transformed by it and have life through it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We do have 1 Kings chapter 12 and 13 uh, there in front of you. That's where we're going to be looking closely today. But uh, as we get underway, it's worth thinking that life would not be the same if it didn't contain words. Uh, Words are all around us. They're as essential to sharing who I am with you as they are for me to know who you are. How else can we tell each other what we're thinking? Uh, What matters matter to us most? What highs we want to share and lows, lows for which we need each other's understanding. Words allow us to laugh and to entertain and to explore the everyday. Words make a marriage work. They empower us to raise our kids so they know us and we know them. They make friendships work. They're the lubricant that allows our friendships to grow Just as, as well, with complete strangers, words allow us all to get along. And yet at the same time, and no doubt you've heard the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It may work to a point in the schoolyard, but how often has it been said through tears, seen and unseen? Uh, Though you can't see them, the power of words means they can be weapons of mass destruction, invisible yet powerful. Handled inappropriately, they can destroy lives, weaponised most dangerously in the form of lies. Why do words have such a place, such power, such potency? It's because speaking is at the very heart of our God. The Lord, he creates by his powerful word. He makes promises by the same word. He rules his people and his world by the word. So much so that when the Christ of eternity comes as the Jesus of history, what name does John give him in his gospel other than the word. If you think what we say matters, and it does, how much more so the one in whose image we are made? But do our lives really reflect that? Would others see it in us? And if we ask them, do we tremble at the word of God? Do we live word-shaped lives. As we come to chapter 13 of 1 Kings and starting as we did in 12 verse 25, we ought to see see the word of God with a new clarity. Uh, the sort of clarity that I'm looking forward to in a few weeks' time when I get my new scripts uh, for my glasses where I'm, I'm going to be able to see you much more clearly. Uh, this passage from God's word should have that impact on us today. And at the same time, it's also a word of warning uh, of the consequences of ignoring the word of the Lord, of the grave danger of believing the lies about it we tell ourselves 
and others would tell us. So let me give you a quick recap on where we've come from. We are here on this picture, uh, the bit highlighted at the point where the Kingdom of Israel splits into two. That's just happened. Uh, As we've talked about in the first 10 or so chapters of 1 Kings, Israel had arrived at the mountaintop of their experience of God. It was a high point. Uh, receiving everything God had promised for them. They were his own people. They were in the land that he'd promised them. They were there with him in the midst of them and ruling by his word. Of course, this was the result of promises made, being kept, promises to their ancestors, Abraham and Moses, names we're probably familiar with, words of promise. And Solomon, who was king at that mountaintop point, he was there too at the mountaintop because of the Lord's promise to him. And when Solomon didn't obey and he didn't submit himself to the rule of the Lord's word, he received another promise, a promise that the Lord would tear his kingdom away from him and split it in two. By this point, With King Jeroboam, that has happened. The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, the ten tribes now called Israel in the north, the remaining two now referred to as Judah in the south. But over Israel, he placed Jeroboam. And even though Jeroboam wasn't an heir of King Solomon, he wasn't an heir of King David, the Lord again made a promise he would establish his kingdom through Jeroboam. 11 verse 37. It came with the usual qualification though, not a qualification to receive the powerful promise of God based on his own efforts, but in order to experience the benefits, this need be the response. If you do whatever I command you and walk in obedience to me and do what is right in my eyes by obeying my decrees and commands as David my servant did, I will be with you. I will build you a dynasty as enduring as the one I built for David and will give Israel to you. We've certainly heard uh, that expectation before in 1 Kings, haven't we? So it's in that light that we come to our reading from uh, 12 verse 25 that we started today, 26 that we started today. And we can't point out every detail in 1 Kings as we go, though it really does reward uh, careful reading uh, during the week. Uh, But what is King Jeroboam's great failure here? He does not have a hearing heart a heart that listens to the word of the Lord. You could put it this way. He forsakes the word of the Lord and instead believes his own lies. Jeroboam (coughs) reverts to the old blue eyes way of doing life. You know what I mean when I say old blue eyes? Uh, I did it my... No, I'm not going to do that. I did it my way. Rejecting the promise of God, replacing trust in the Lord's hand with trust in his own. It's human sin to the core. And here what he's doing is human sinful politics 101. Let me explain. 
The Lord had told his people everything they needed to know in order for them to worship him and to do it appropriately and on his terms, which makes sense if he's the Lord. Uh, At this time, it was to go to the temple in Jerusalem, just as it had always been, to make sacrifices through the priests that the Lord had set aside and at the times he had chosen. Jeroboam here thinks to himself, if to worship the Lord, the people have to travel away out of my territory in the north to get to Jerusalem and the territory of Judah in the south. They'll just up, end up returning to that kingdom. We know what people are like, but abandon mine. It's a sort of East Berlin uh, bleeding people into West Berlin before they built the wall. And from a human point of view, what Jeroboam thinks makes perfect sense. It's strategic strategic leadership. But also so very, very wrong. The Lord had made a promise to him by his word. The Lord had directed every aspect of his people's worship by the same word. And here is Jeroboam. He's setting up golden calves for goodness sake. Even when Kathy was reading it out, I thought the alarm buzzer was going to go off. As you remember, your mind harks back to Mount Sinai and the sin of making the golden calf back then. The Lord had promised Jeroboam a great kingdom. And to his promises, he has been faithful to a fault. But Jeroboam, even as he was entrusted by God to rule the north, does not trust God to come through with keeping his promise. It's a timely reminder for us. It is, in fact, the very heart of sin. Believing the lies we tell ourselves, forsaking the word of the Lord. Now we can be sure of the seriousness of this because of what we're told in chapter 13, verse 1 to 10, which follows on immediately. And here the Lord pronounces his judgment. How does he do it? By his word. Did you notice how many times the word of the Lord came up in this reading? And you compare it with the the bit we read just before in chapter 12 where it's not there at all. But here it's like a chorus, isn't it? Uh, Verse 1, by the word of the Lord. Verse 2, by the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Verse 5, by the man of God, by the word of the Lord. And verse 9, I was commanded by the word of the Lord. It's sending us a message, isn't it? It's clear, it's a clear sign of how the Lord rules his people. And the right response Well, remember back to Solomon in chapter 3 when he was offered to have anything he wanted by the Lord. What did he pray? He prayed for a hearing heart. And we need hearing hearts. Hearts that listen to and obey the word of the speaking God. In this episode uh, here, we see... Well, as it follows on from chapter 12, we see the judgment of God, at least a foretaste of judgment on the disobedience of his king. 
And it too is a promise that the altar will one day be defiled and Jeroboam can be sure that the promise will happen because even this day he is given a sign that it will be split in two and it is. Stop there for a moment. What does the Lord ultimately want from Jeroboam? Want of us? It's turning back to him when we wander away from his word and living in his way. Judgment isn't his primary concern. Repentance is. Even as the episode unfolds, though, there's no doubt we're descending down the other side of that mountain, uh, descending rather rapidly uh, down the mountaintop that we saw in the first chapters of 1 Kings. Even though the prophet of Judah is a man of God speaking the word of the Lord, Jeroboam tries to shut him down, crying out, seize him, and wanting to silence the Lord's rule over him. That's an experience with which we're all too familiar, as it would be attempted many years later on a Roman cross outside of Jerusalem. Just as, and if we know ourselves truly, and without God's intervention, we attempt day by day. But Jeroboam does not succeed and even as he tries to get the prophet of Judah to eat with him and get the man of God to in some way at least implicitly uh, endorse him and what he's up to at the moment, what does the man of God say? Uh, Who does he obey? The word of the Lord. Now I don't think any of us, if we've got familiarity uh, with knowing God through his word and we've read and some parts of the Bible will be all that surprised with what's happened up to this point. And that's not to say that it's not important. In fact, it is one of the many grave warnings that the Lord graciously gives us. And I wonder if you've ever thought of warnings that way. Even stern warnings, warnings that feel uh, uh, so harsh that these warnings are a grace or gift of God to us. I always remember, uh, Louise and I, our visit up to Wentworth Falls, and even as you get on the track to walk out to the viewing area, uh, there are signs there. Uh, I I imagine some of us have seen it, the sort of sign that says, danger, Uh, going near cliff edge could result in loss of life. Well, this episode with Jeroboam here is a warning. It's a kind and gracious word from God where just as the Lord who speaks it, he takes his word seriously, he takes himself seriously, and he takes how we respond seriously. And so do not take... Do not believe the lies and self-justifications you tell yourself to ignore, dismiss or twist what the Lord has revealed pleases him. 
just as he's also revealed what does not. But it's the next episode you've probably been holding your breath for. Is that right? Wondering what's, what's that all about? Uh, it does not play out as we might have thought or even hoped. So how does it go? There's another prophet. Uh, the first prophet's from Judah, the second one from Israel. He's called a certain old prophet in verse 11. The first prophet hasn't returned to Judah yet. He's on the way. Both are still in the north. Uh, what does the old prophet do? He tracks the first down and asks him to do what King Jeroboam asked, which was to turn back and eat with him. But he tricks him, doesn't he? He lies to him, saying that he has a word from the Lord. And the first prophet, uh, it's like watching a train wreck in slow motion as we read it, isn't it? The first prophet believes him and eats with him. And then, and this does my head in, the old prophet who deceived the first, he now speaks the living word of the Lord in verse 20 and on and says, and let's pick it up from halfway through verse 21, you have defied the word of the, oh, sorry, this is what the Lord says. You have defied the word of the Lord and have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. You came back and ate bread and drank water in the place where he told you not to eat or drink. Therefore, your body will not be buried in the tomb of your ancestors. And what happens? Well, as we read on, the first prophet, now condemned, as soon as he gets on his way, he is killed by a lion. And so we know that this is no accident or coincidence. The lion just stands there, uh, neither mauling the body of the prophet who's died or the donkey on which he was travelling. Because this is the Lord's hand. And don't we want to say, that's not fair. <laughs> the second prophet lied to the first after all. One of the challenges that we have, and I think even more so in these days of uh, you know, the way our community and culture thinks about our own choices and our own views and the scepticism we have of anything that impinges upon that, is how do we read the word of God when the Lord doesn't say what we think he should say? When he doesn't say what we want him to say? And I take it this is perhaps one of those times where we might have lots more questions uh, as well. And we come up against the fact that they're not answered. In fact, perhaps even intentionally not answered to drive us to the heart of what's going on here. That when you have heard the word of the Lord, beware of those who would deceive you who would turn you from obedience to disobedience, who would lead you from life to death. What does the New Testament say? Even the devil masquerades as an angel of light. Beware. Know the word of the Lord. We have an extraordinary privilege as we read these words uh, from 1 Kings in that we know the rest of the story. 
We've seen the faithfulness of the Lord and his word despite our faithlessness. And we see Jesus, the word, God himself long promised, revealing God, powerful to keep God's promises, our saviour from the lies we tell ourselves or that others would tell us, who rules all things. And yet even as we see him and know the extraordinary outcome he has brought in all God's plans, we don't just down tools at this point. Uh, think we can kick back now and relax, take it easy, at least not in this life as we look forward to the life to come. Because in this life, as we read 1 Kings 13, we're reminded we must be vigilant. We need to be rooting out the self-deception that so readily tries to justify our behaviour, our thoughts, our prejudices and even our failures. And we need to be testing what others say about the Lord and command in his name or would persuade us to believe. We need to test it against the living word of God and amongst us, given each other as his people to help one another. At this point, we could talk about all sorts of examples of this. We could talk about how we are meant to treat each other and how so often we, we choose a different path. We could, we could talk about the priorities we make for ourselves and our families. We could talk about the the weighty issues of life and death and the choices that our world around us says are ours to make when the Lord does not. You know, half the New Testament was written to churches that were in a mess because of this problem, because they weren't rooting out self-deception and testing what was being told to them. Listen to what Paul says to the Galatians who were turning to a different gospel. Uh, Galatians 1, he says, it is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be under a curse. We have the word of God. It is here in our Bibles. They don't merely contain the word of God and we can pick and choose what floats our boat. This is the word of God, the whole counsel of God. And so to be clear at this point, what we find here is we don't just find the commands of God and we need to search it and just find those. We meet God himself. He always speaks truthfully. He never lies. His yes is yes, his no is no. And so when we hear him speak, we hear and know and grow in him. Because his word is the power behind everything, even powerful enough to transform us across that great divide from the kingdom of lies to the kingdom of light. 
Let me share two other concerns that appear in this passage uh, just briefly. There's another theme that runs through this chapter. We've actually touched on it already. It's, it's a bit of a chorus itself. It's turning or returning. Uh, and uh, as you go through it, you notice the language of returning is in places like where the king's shriveled hand is cured by the first prophet. It's returned to him. Just as the first prophet was not to return by the way he had come, uh, just as he wasn't to turn aside and eat with the king or the second prophet, just as the second prophet comes to be known at the end of chapter 13 as the prophet who turned the first back. In the end, after all this, we read of Jeroboam in verse 33, even after all this that took place, Jeroboam did not change his evil ways. He did not turn from his evil ways. He remained on the path he had chosen, having turned away from the Lord. Turning is essential in understanding what's going on here. The other is hope. Even as Jeroboam is called to turn back to God, we see here God's patience. Even as the old prophet, uh, if you read to the very end of the chapter, speaks of his bones being buried with the first prophet who was killed by the lion, even though at this point it's only a small glimmer of hope, he, he by his words shows he is confident the Lord will keep his promise to renew. The warning for us today is to see the power above all powers, to see the Lord above all lords and to listen and hear his word, to have his word constantly transforming our lives because his word of hope is a word which calls us back to him even daily. And have a listen to this. Uh, what Paul says in Romans at the beginning of his great letter in chapter 1 from verse 16 where we've heard uh, of the seriousness, uh, the warning of judgment and then of the hope. Here in Romans 1 we hear of the hope because of the seriousness of judgment. And so we read Paul saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people, who suppress the truth by their wickedness. We have an extraordinary privilege. We not only know the power behind everything, the word of the Lord, we know the Lord who has spoken it. Hear his word and you will live. Praise God for that.
I'll lead us in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you that you are the God who reveals yourself and rules your world by speaking. We thank you that we have the great privilege of being made in your image, that we too can speak, but above all, that we can hear your word. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would forgive us uh, for our many times of failing to hear you or believing the lies we tell ourselves or believing the lies others might tell us. And we rest in the forgiveness that Jesus brings. We ask this uh, and, share, and say this, pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.